Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there, Blog Talk Radio land and Rainbow Soul. I always, I always have to shout out Rainbow Soul because that's where I got started when I actually was trying to get a interview for my book Porsche when it came out. We're going back over ten years, you guys. And the owner of Rainbow Soul said, "Why don't you start your own show?" And that's how. Off the Shelf got started, as I was telling our guests, who I'm excited to introduce to you guys in just a minute. We've been, we're going into 13 years now. If somebody had told me that, I would have said, oh, no way, no way. And I've, I've loved it. We've had listeners from around the world. We've had New York Times best-selling authors, Essence best-selling authors. We've had business owners. We've had doctors on here who've, who've written books, uh, psych, psychologists and some of our our guests have actually gone on to international, national, and regional television, and I mean leaders on TV shows that you guys probably see every day, and they've been here on Off the Shelf. So we have another guest who is going to join that long list of honorable uh, uh, guests here at Off the Shelf, and I'm delighted to introduce her to you. But before I do, I want to leave you with this word to put it in your spirit to kick off our off-the-shelf February the 18th show with, love will find and heal the most brokenhearted, disappointed, abused, and ashamed. Love has come. There's no turning back. And that is from my new book, Love Pour Over Me, which I hope you will go out and get a copy of. You can get it in ebook format and in print format. Now, I'm going to tell you something about a good book, just as we're going to discuss some good books today with our, our guest has has written and been so to share your art. Some people do art and they hide it from the world. Uh, to share your art so others benefit from it is truly, I think, an act of love and a blessing. But you, one thing about a book, you're not going to know how good it is. You're not going to reap the benefits of it if you don't read the book. I was just in Barnes & Noble earlier today and I picked up a book by Mac, Malcolm Gladwell and I'm trying to finish another book. So I read too. I read a lot of books. But if you don't read the book, the benefits that are in it, you just you don't get them. You don't get them. So um, gift yourself with a copy of Love Pour Over Me. Again, you can get a copy in ebook or in print format for le- less than four dollars, and you can you you get a whole lot more than four dollars out of it. Trust me. So I want to welcome everybody to our Saturday, February 18th show. It's it's cloudy here in Georgia, and I'm. I normally go out for a walk after the show, and I hope that it does not rain, but we'll see. But now I want to welcome you all. I'm excited about our guests, and I'm, I count this as a blessing that we have such wonderful people on Off the Shelf. And joining our legacy, our long legacy of amazing guests uh, uh, today, this morning, is Patricia Bridewell. Patricia, she's an award-winning Christian author, and her stories, they have a, a real-life feel to them. And more Christian novels, I find, are taking taking that on. Uh, I can't remember the author I used to read when I was a little girl who wrote Christian Christian novels. I, I, I loved her, her works. But a lot of Christian novels until recently, they were so cleansed, almost like they didn't, they weren't writing about things happening in this world. And a lot of people turned away from them and were bored with them. They were just a little too too cleansed. Well, Patricia, her stories have a real life feel to them, so you can relate to them. And novels that Patricia Bridewell has written include Two Steps Past the the Altar, Keeping Faith, Reflections of a Quiet Storm, isn't that a nice title, A Generation of Curses, makes you wonder what that's about, and Single Mama Dating Drama, which a lot of people deal with. Patricia is also a nurse educator. We want to ask her about that. She's a public speaker, a mother, and a grandmother, and she makes her church home, West Angeles Church of God in Christ. You can find Patricia Bridewell, and it's B-R-I-D-E-W-E-L-L spelled just as it sounds, but you can find Patricia Bridewell online at www.patriciabridewell.com. Again, her name is spelled exactly the way it sounds, P A. T R I C I A 
B-R-I-D-E-W-E-L-L, PatriciaBridewell.com. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Patricia. Yes, thank you so much, Denise. I just want to first say uh, I am just honored to be on this show, and I thank you for this privilege, and I want to congratulate you also on your book, and I plan to purchase that book today. (laughs) So I'm glad to be here. (laughs) I I appreciate that, uh, Patricia, and it's just it's a, it's a pleasure to have you on Off the Shelf. As I was saying at the start, I didn't even think I would ever have a radio show. And then some of the guests we've had on, I, I, I see them on TV like every day. They, they've gone on to do that well. So I hope that in the future I look up and I say, oh, my gosh, there's Patricia. <laughs> look, what, look what she's doing. I hope you join oh, that long yes. list. So before Thank we you. launch into Absolutely. Before we launch into the today's show's questions, this uh, these first two questions I ask all of our guests because I want our listeners to get a little backstory on our guests rather than just diving right in to the questions sure. about the book. So just to give us a little sure. background on you, can you tell our off-the-shelf listeners, Patricia, where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Okay. Well, I grew up in Los Angeles, California, uh, which is where I currently reside. Um, I've been here for most of my life. Back in the 80s, I moved to the Midwest, and and, uh, my husband and I at that time moved there, and we were there for five years. But I've been back home ever since 1992. Um, I grew up in um, South Central Los Angeles. Um, my mother and father were divorced at an early age, but I lived in a home that was full of love. I lived in a home with my mother uh, at one point and my, my brother, and then we had the grandmother and my aunt and two kids. She had two kids. So it was really a home where, you know, we were really inspired by, you know, the Christianity that our grandmother brought to the table and by, you know, the hardworking women who were just really sincere about keeping their family together and raising us positively. Um, we didn't have a lot, but, you know, we got everything we need through love, you know, and we lived in a community where, um, you know, we had friends and we went to school and it was just really a very nourishing atmosphere. And I think that's the reason that I'm the way I am now because I saw my grandmother and my mother and my aunt give so much. You know, if your neighbor didn't have something, you know, and they needed it, then they were willing to help and vice versa. So that's what I actually um, did. Um, you know, I'm a nurse. You know, I have two kids, um, I have two adult kids, and I have a grandson. And I also am, as you mentioned, a nurse educator, and my background is in mental health and the emergency room. So I've been a nurse since my 20th year, and I'm also a family nurse practitioner. So uh, this is my 20th year in nursing, and I and I write, I write books, and I love, I love, you know, so and I'm thankful to God. Mm-hmm. So many of our guests, um, have their childhood was really. Oh, amazing, and that's a good thing. That is a very good thing to hear. Then we've also had one guest who, they, he and his mom had to flee, flee their country uh, due to some uprisings that were going on. So, it's it's really uh, good to hear so many people say they had a very um, nurturing childhood. So when you were a child, you work you work as a nurse educator. You've been in that field for twenty years. You had caring, strong women where you grew up in Los Angeles, where you still live. What did you dream of when you were a young girl? Uh, What did you dream of becoming, Patricia? Did you dream of becoming a nurse? Maybe you saw Julia on TV when you were a kid. Not sure the time frame you grew up, but when you were a little girl, what did you dream of becoming uh, when you would become an adult? Well, to be honest, I really always had an interest in in caring, you know, for other people. So I didn't, I didn't, I thought at first I wanted to be a nurse, but then that kind of deviated to something different. But I still realized that somewhere, I think deep down inside my soul, this is what I would eventually be- become with a nurse, even though I did it later in life. You know, my kids were in, in school, and, you know, while they were in school, I went back to school and became a nurse. 
And before then, I worked, you know, in offices, like as an office manager, administrative assistant, and did those types of things. But deep down inside, I knew that I wanted to take care of people because it seems like when I was younger, I was always helping, you know, um, doing things, you know, thinking about, you know, illnesses and, and hearing people with the illnesses in my household, wondering what that meant, you know, and why, you know, why why is this going on, why is that? So I always had that question in the back of my mind about illness, and I wanted to know more. But at that particular time, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up like in the early 60s, I would say, and, you know, we weren't really exposed to a lot of professions as far as like nursing, you know, we were taught like, okay, um, Maybe you could become a teacher, you can become other things, but the medical field wasn't something that was really encouraged to us at that time. So it now, of course, you know, I think that um, the youth are so, so very, very um, impressed with things around them because in school it's different. It's a different age and a different time, and we can do all things, you know, we can do all things. So um, and you, I did realize my goal, and I, I went to school back, and like I said, later on, and that, that was what I pursued. You know what? It's amazing. When I grew up, I think we grew up around the same same time. I was born in 62. So okay. it, it's funny that now the opportunities that people have, and for my mom and my grandmother, there were even fewer you were a woman, a nurse, or a school teacher, to dream mm-hmm. of even being a writer. You didn't even see that many African-American writers, which leads me into my next question for you. How old were you when you realized, you just knew, knew, knew that you wanted to be a writer? You know, the, straight, the, the odd thing about that is I really even though I read, I read very young because I always, you know, I was handed a book when I was very young and I started reading and I loved reading and, you know, I loved writing. Those were my favorite subjects in school. I didn't pursue writing until like maybe about, I'd say, 12 or 13 years ago. And it happened because oh. there was a crisis going on in my life and I started journaling. And as soon as I started journaling after about a year, I realized I really wanted to do something with these words and put them into a book. But when, as a young kid, I never thought about writing. I didn't. It came later in life. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Uh, but you, but you were introduced to books. Tell us about that path. I just have a few more questions I'm going to ask you before we launch into sure. talking about okay. your books. Tell us about that path. Who inspired you? You you were it was later in your life you 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 were introduced to books as a child but I guess it didn't as a catch. child yeah so right. who inspired you though to to start you you just started journaling a lot of people journal a lot of people write in diaries when they're teenagers preteens they working do. through that age transition was there a particular do. incident to take you from journaling to book writing did somebody inspire you to do to take that path. You know what, I read a lot of, um, I didn't re- even read fiction, to be honest. I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies, and I used to, I was, used to always be interested in reading others' lives, you know, and, they, and some of them wrote their own, some people wrote their own stories, and that was something that I thought of doing at that particular, and I knew that I wanted to do something that was fiction, but I hadn't read any fiction books, so I started reading fiction books, and the first book I think I picked up, in, well, the first two books were, like, uh, one by Victoria Christopher Murray and then uh, Kim Roby um, and uh, Kimberly Lawson Roby. And those were the first fiction books. But I've always read autobiographies. I read, like, Tina Turner's Life. And, and, you know, there were so many other people that, you know, did other things. And that's when I really started reading. But I read books in school you know, and I read, you know, like the books that were given to me, but my inspiration came from something that happened in my life, and I felt like I had to journal and write more about it, and then I said, well, how can I present this? And I thought I was going to do something similar to what somebody else has done, but I said, well, you know, I'm not a famous person. Who would be, who would be, who would want to buy my book, you know? So what I did is I took some of the things in my life and made a fiction story out of it, and that's what I did. That was my first project, in Reflections of a Quiet Storm. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so now you've given <laughs> us a little insight into uh, one of your books. 
but I have I have um, two other questions I want to ask you. What what mm-hmm. does and when I was researching for your interview, this question is one I wanted for myself. What does a sure. nurse educator do? What does a nurse educator do? Okay, well, a nurse educator generally, you know, you either do one of two things: you're either teaching in the hospital and you are teaching other uh, professionals in the hospital, or you are like. Um, teaching academically like I do. Uh, I've been teaching, I've been a nurse for 20 years, but I also, um, I teach nursing students. I teach nursing students how to become nurses. So I teach theory, I teach mental health, I taught uh, med surge, I taught other courses, and you teach them in class, but in nursing you have to have a clinical component so the students can learn how to do the hands-on types of things that they need to uh, be proficient at when they take care of patients, such as starting IVs, um, you know, learning how to get medications the proper way, um, maybe doing a Foley catheter. So they need to know how to do all those things when they're in the hospital. So I do nurse education in the hospital as well as teach in the classroom. But I've been a nurse myself. I've, I've take, of course, you have to have the nursing background and experience in order to be a nurse educator. So I've taken care of patients in the hospital. And then you basically, if you're going to do academic nursing, then you do something that you specialize in. Like I'm a mental health nurse, and I'm also an ER nurse, so I specialize in teaching and mental health now. Oh, my goodness, I'm impressed. <laughs> so you worked for 20 years as a nurse, and now you're you're actually teaching nurses, but it's not like you're, you're not in a college uh, teaching a nursing program that leads to a degree. These people already right, have their degree. Right, I am. I they am. Already, I, I am in a college teaching. Uh-huh. That's correct. Yeah, oh. I am teaching at a college. Yeah, it's affiliated with the college. But when the students do, it's just like the medical doctors. They learn at a college to get a degree, but they still have to go to the different facilities to learn how to take care of patients. So you might be in the classroom teaching at a university one day, and then or two days, and then you may spend a day or two in the hospital teaching those same students because they have to go to the hospital get to get the clinical experience. Okay. Now, Patricia, mm-hmm. we've had people on who one lady, she's an attorney, she practices law, and she also okay. writes novels. And okay. the, you, you, I think about the brain. You said the mental health, and I know you have to know this being a nurse because you know the human anatomy, how the brain works and everything. you got that left-right brain going. How do you mm-hmm. balance being the the practical mind, using the practical mind of a nurse, with the creative mind of a writer, how do you how do you go back and forth across that bridge? Oh well, you know what? <laughs> it took a while in the beginning because you know I really had to find that time, you know, to just like go home and relax and just separate, you know, what I had done that day with the students and put that aside, you know, and then just go into writer mode. Because if you don't take the time to do it, you basically just, you can't, you know. So I won't say that I, I don't incorporate, incorporate some things from my nursing experiences because I've incorporated lots of things, you know, that I've utilized in stories, but not about a particular person, maybe just a combination of patients that I've taken care of. I've taken that and used it in my stories, but also just from my life experiences I incorporated. So it's as you begin to do it, you just have to, you know, kind of divide the two, I would say. But then I think you still you ultimately are going to have some things that are going to come into play from your, your work history and your, and your life history, I would think. Okay. For me, Can you give us a, that's the way it's been. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I admire that you're able to do that, particularly one of the things that uh, can be a roadblock, not only to authors but to musicians and painters. You have to be, mm-hmm. have enough energy free, freed up in you to create. If you're too stressed or it's it's just you can't do it. You you have to have enough energy flowing and freely in you to 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 create as well. So the fact that you don't deal with those blocks and then then some mm-hmm. writers the the editor is constantly going so they have a hard time writing is too frustrating because they keep their editor comes out no that sentence is wrong shouldn't have said that you should have said this then they step away. But then on top of it, you've got to bridge those two minds 
from that you practical do. nurse educator you role to the creator role. So I commend you uh, for doing that, Patricia. Now we're ready to talk about your books. People know a little bit about you, who, 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 who's the author of the books. But maybe some people who've read your stories for years may have learned things about you that they didn't know before. But now can you give us a brief synopsis of your your first novel? And based on my research, correct me if I'm wrong, your first novel uh-huh. was A Generation of Curses. Uh, can you give us a synopsis of this novel? And let us know, Patricia, is this a work of fiction or nonfiction? Because I wasn't sure. Okay, well, that's actually my second one, but I I can talk to you about that probably better because of the fact that the first one was just so long ago. But uh, A Generation of Curses is is my second, and that was a collaboration with my daughter-in-law. And actually the the book was about a woman who basically um, she actually witnessed the murder of her boyfriend, and that was many years prior. And what had happened is that, you know, she was cleared, you know, and, you know, because a lot of the family thought that maybe she had something to do with the murder and they thought it was very suspicious, but she moved on. And then the book actually starts, you know, out with um, a scene, you know, from when that occurred. But then we move forward and now she is married to the assistant pastor, Malcolm Hill, who is due to become the next uh, pastor of his father's church. And she runs her own business. She has a daughter. But then one day, a detective knocks on her door and says the case from many years ago is now being reopened, and she is a prime suspect. So now, you know, um, these things begin to unwind, and there's a lot of chaos, uh, chaos in the church. There's frustration with her marriage. And there's just so many things that go on. And then basically, you know, the question is, will their marriage survive this onslaught and will her reputation be redeemed? And will she and her husband be able to stay together, you know, despite all of the problems that are going on? You know, so it's basically filled with faith, you know, but then some of the other things are people who are very um, uh, cruel to her, you know, they're, 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 um, looking at her in a different way now because this comes out in the open about her past. So it's really, really a dynamic story, and um, I really, really enjoyed writing it. And as I said, my daughter-in-law, some of the things were based on her life, but not exactly. It wasn't like um, it was her story. It was just some of the things that actually occurred. Do you think we all – I've had authors on and authors I've interviewed for the book lovers have in a newsletter that I have. Mm-hmm. They'll have a character who has this hidden past. Do you mm-hmm. do you think that everybody – you know when you go to church, you think everybody's been in church forever. You can't even imagine. Yes. You can't yes. even imagine, particularly a minister, or that they had this other life. Some people mm-hmm. still have that other life, but some people you mm-hmm. you 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 think all you see is all that there ever was to them. Do you think most people you take you're taking on an interesting human, I guess, experience in a generation of curses? Do you think most people have that a, a past life that is nothing like the life they're lead, leading today? I believe that's true. I really do. Because I think there's no one in this world that can say that they have lived a perfect life, you know. And some people do not want to disclose things, but sometimes it's better just to get it out in the open and not have it, you know, where it's hidden. Because when you talk about these things, sometimes you'll find that some of these are really deep-seated problems that may have happened even in your your childhood, your young adulthood, uh, even currently that are really, really preventing you from moving forward. And you really have to expose things. You know, maybe you don't want to talk to the whole world about it, but I think if you actually bring things out to people that you trust and care about and you can move forward because, you know, you'd be surprised at how many people really get ill, mentally ill because of their past and things that they are trying to hide Uh, from others. (laughs) and And you would know that. (laughs) <laughs> based on your training, <laughs> oh my goodness! I can see now. I'm listening to you as the interview goes forward. How your training could even subconsciously help you with your developing your characters 
and your plot. Yes. Now, Patricia, how did Khadijah, how did she know, and I think this is why a lot of us do go to a worship center while we pray, while we meditate. We want to know that it's almost like, Lord, I can have the courage to do something as long as mm-hmm. I know that it's you telling me to do it because then I know I'll have success success at it and I'll be, I, I won't. I won't run into destruction now or later because I took this step. How did Khadijah know, how did she know, Patricia, that it was God who was directing her to move to California? Well, I believe that, for one thing, you know, earlier on it's exposed that she was threatened, you know. And she, the, the one, she, and I don't want to tell too much, she did have a deep secret you know, that nobody knew about, not even her husband. But there were some threats made. So, you know, after those things started happening, she knew it was time to move forward. However, there's something still in her past that no, that she didn't share and she should have shared earlier with her husband before they married. And I think that was the one thing, that was the one reason why this past came to haunt her. And I think eventually what she did know is that, you know, she really needed to open up, trust God, and be honest with her husband, which she didn't do initially. And then that's why all of this chaos started. Because if he had known some of the things that he knew later on, then I think it would have been a lot easier for her to deal with all of the the tarnishment that became that came on her life. You know, what type of business does Khadijah run? She's an event planner. She plans different events like weddings and parties and, and things such as that. She's a pastor's wife, but she still has her own business. Mm-hmm. Okay. Can you tell us about her husband? I know he's assistant pastor of Solid Rock Christian Ministry. What, what, what is Khadijah's husband? What's his personality, his approach to life? What's he like? Well, Malcolm Hill, he's, he's young. You know, he's very smart. Uh, he's energetic. Um, he's the son, the one son, because there's a brother, and both of them are kind of at odds uh, about the pastor's seat. But he's the preferred son because he's the one that actually encourages membership. Um, he actually participates and does things. I mean, he loves his wife dearly. There isn't anything he wouldn't do for his wife and his and his child. They have a young daughter. And he is just the one that is expected to take the seat in the pastorship. But because of all the chaos that comes along, you know, it's just one big mess. And the thing about it is that the, the good part about it is that in, he does come to realize that he really has to support his wife, you know, because, you know, there's chaos. You know, when, you, when you're married to someone and you're not honest with them, you find out something eight or nine years later, and then all of a sudden it's like a big, a big surprise, you know. And not only is it a big surprise, it's a threat you know, to you as a minister and in your relationship with your um with your father and the church members, then, you know, they start to wonder, you know, and he was angry with her at first. But I think the strength of his character was that he believed in God, he was a man of God, and he knew that he had to, to support his wife. And that's the kind of man he is. And, and also, do you tackle uh, not only that it could impact his reputation, the reputation of his father, who is the pastor of Solid Rock Christian Ministries, he's, of course, the assistant pastor, but also could impact uh, not just his, his reputation, but do you also tackle it from the standpoint that now Malcolm's wondering, okay, she hid this big thing. What else is she hiding? What else? Exactly. And that's the big the big thing, the big thing. I won't expose it, but that's the one big thing that he didn't learn until later in the story, and that was that crushed him. That really crushed him. Yeah, it's similar to I'm sorry. It's to somebody has an affair. You you and 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 they they hid it for years, and later you find out sometimes that they had an affair, and it was going on for years, and they didn't. They kept you clueless, and mm-hmm. or you find out they have a ten year old kid, and you're like, excuse me. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. I'm thinking about. I don't want to give the, the movie away, but I maybe shouldn't say this if people haven't seen it. But fences, that 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 kind of thing will make your mouth swing open. 
So I, I, I don't want to give it away, but it's that, it's that kind of thing. With Khadijah and Malcolm, you 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 you're like you never let on that any of this. Uh, what else are you hiding from me? Now, do the police? Exactly. The police they question Khadijah before she moves to California, which would make me wonder: Is she thinking God led her there, or is she running away? Do, do, do the police question her before she moves or after she's moved? Well, yes, because initially she basically is arrested because, you know, when they when there's a murder, the first thing the police want to look at, I think, is the people that are in the immediate family, you know, the wife, first of all, you know, or mm-hmm. somebody close, so or girlfriend, you know. So, yes, she was arrested, you know. And as a matter of fact, the first scene goes back to when she was in jail that time, you know, because kind of a the prologue is kind of like a, a beginning of where she started, and it starts at from that part, and then comes the first chapter is the actual up to date story. But yeah, she was arrested and taken to to jail, and but they cleared her. So and you know it was difficult for her, but eventually she knew she had to move on because of the things that were happening in the city that she lived in, and because of the ex boyfriend's um, family's. Uh, belief that she murdered her her uh, boyfriend, so that was the wow. situation there. Mm-hmm. So you you decided to really jump into the story. <laughs> I told the listeners you you take on real life issues and you and you sure do. Can you introduce us to some of the other? We know Khadijah and Malcolm. Can you introduce right. us to some of the other main? and minor characters in a generation of curses. And also, do do Khadija and Malcolm, do they have any children? They have one child, uh, one daughter. One daughter. And um, the others are basically um, Stacy, who is her sister-in-law, and then they have Corbin, who is the other son. That's Malcolm's brother. He's also a brother who could possibly be up for the um, pastoral um, seat in the father's church when he retires. But most everyone knows that it's Malcolm that the father prefers, but, you know, it's it's in the air. Um, and then there's also um, Maxie, who was a close friend of Khadijah's. You know, she's a very close friend of um, – I'm sorry, she's a close friend of Stacy's. So she has her own salon, and she's she's always had this crush on Malcolm for years and years. But he he actually met and married uh, Khadijah. So those are kind of the uh-huh. main characters in the story. And then of course okay. we have the parents, you know, Reverend and Mrs. Hill. <laughs> okay, uh, Stacy sounds a little bit interesting. I I can tell she has a big role. Do, do um, I, I definitely don't want to give anything in the story away, but the, Malcolm's parents. Uh, do they ever become aware of Khadijah's past? And, and if whether they do or don't, what are their feelings about Khadijah? Do they accept her? Do they not like her but tolerate her because her son, their son married her? What is their relationship with her like? They actually accepted her and they they loved her. You know, as a matter of fact, they loved her. They didn't really care for Stacy as much, you know, which is Corbin's um, wife. But they loved her. But actually, after they found out about the situation and they found out that she was now being investigated for a murder, then the whole situation just really um, it wasn't very good. It wasn't very positive, I should say. You know, and of course okay. they worried about so many things that would change. You know, in terms of membership and what would the church members think. So, it it was very chaotic after that, to say the least. Oh my goodness, story sounds so good. Now, where <laughs> and when does does the story, a generation of curses, take place? And I have one more question before we go into reflections of a of a quiet storm. But where where and when does the story, a generation of curses? It take place. Is it the 1980s, 90s, current day, and where where is it? Right, it, at? it is. It is place in Los Angeles, and of course she's from Kansas City, so that's where she uh, um, was born and raised, and that's where the actual murder took place was in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So, the gen- a generation of curses. I'm listening to you talk about this story, and it sounds extremely interesting. But the title. Why did you call it a generation of curses? Generation, I'm thinking something that happens over and over and over. 
Why? Mm-hmm. What significance does that title hold to the story itself? Well, it had something to do with her, her, her family. Something that happens in her family um, years and years ago. Uh, there was a death, and by um, a female who lived, in, who was a member of her family, a great great grandmother, I believe. I'm trying to remember the the relationship, but I believe it's like a grandmother, a great great grandmother, who was actually suspected of killing the the um, the um, grandfather. So wow, that was <laughs> that's the reason why. Did I, you did you get this me. idea for this story? Wow, you got a very layered story. Did you get? Yeah. And, and that was my daughter's choice. The, like I said, it was based on some things that happened in her life, so that was actually her choice for the story, uh, for the title. All right, so you so didn't just kept it. So that's oh, okay. So we kind of voted on this it. Is you a know, story, this this sounds like this story is so meaty. It could be a, a series, a book series. It just to go into everybody's life. To to really let the uh-huh. reader know what's happening, this sounds like it would take two to three books to tell that story, the 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 grandmother's story, and then go on. It there's this is a very layered story. It sounds like uh, to me. It and is, yeah, like and, and 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 actually, readers have asked for a sequel. <laughs> I've, we've just never gotten around to doing the sequel. We kind of moved on to other things because I had like um, I had a short story that I had to submit for um, for um, my publisher, so I didn't get to that that section. Okay. Uh, well, I, it sounds like you could go back and and maybe go to where it starts, the generation of curses. And readers go, oh, okay, now I get it bet more understanding with it. Um, so Reflections of a Quiet Storm, this is another of Patricia Brywell's stories. Is it based on a real-life event? That generation of curses sounds so interesting. But is, <laughs> is Reflections of a Quiet Storm, is that based on any real-life event? That was based on some things that actually occurred in my life because that was my first book. That was the very first book. Oh. Yeah. Okay, can you give so, us an overview of Reflections of a Quiet Storm? Okay, uh, yeah, Reflections of a Quiet Storm is based on some true facts. Um, it's it's uh, about uh, Pauline Bridges, who is a CEO and business owner. And so after a near-fatal accident, what happens is, you know, she has a life-changing experience. And so the life-changing experience, basically, she begins to reveal her, uh, things begin to reveal her past. You know, she has flashbacks and dreams of the past, and they kind of unfold in, like, you know, a lot of subsequent stories. Um, the long journey kind of unveils, unveils many secrets, and um, she has memories about a brutal past in terms of, like, um, problems with, you know, her ex-husband who was addicted to drugs and also a rape. So these these things come to mind, and I think what really happened, trust God to get through this period of her life because it was just such a devastating um, thing that she kept hidden, you know, inside, and she never wanted to open up and really disclose it. So she had to, she met somebody, met somebody by the name of Keith, and he really just kind of opened up a tunnel for her to just come through and and disclose some of the things that she needed to disclose, and he was there for her. And in the end, I think what really happens is that um, she has learned to, like, live again and breathe again because she's actually exposed to things that stayed within her for so long. And I think sometimes you have things happen to you in life. You're in an accident. You have a near-death experience or you have something very, very um, – devastating happen to you in life and you realize, you know, you can't just stay where you are. In order to grow, you got to move forward and you have to find a way to do it. But first is trusting God. That's basically the story. And that's a, that's a good message, uh, Patricia. That is a, I almost called you Pauline. That's a good, that is, that is a, uh, a wonderful message. Now from your training, this is something that I know we're talking, and I do not want to talk about single mama dating drama, but from your training, okay. um, have you, is, is it, I've heard people say this, we've heard of amnesia where people forget their mm-hmm. name and we know about Alzheimer's and the different types mm-hmm. of, uh, the, uh, the, the where the brain starts to deteriorate and people forget, forget things. And as we age, mm-hmm. that happens to all of us. You, you just get older and you say, oh, my God, what did I 
put my keys, where did I put that pad? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. That happens. <laughs> but, but all but the time. Is it, but, Patricia, yes. when you think of amnesia, and I'm not sure what causes amnesia versus Alzheimer's and and those types mm-hmm. of dementia-related illnesses, I don't know enough about the brain to know what the di- causes the difference in the two. But mm-hmm. then we have what people say, if there's too much trauma, Mm-hmm. You can actually bury a memory, an event that occurred to you, and as though consciously, you it, it's like it never even happened to you, but your unconscious remembers it. Right, PST, like how post-traumatic for, for those, stress for disorder. People, uh-huh. Oh, it that's is. what causes it, it's that. It's like post, that, yeah, a lot of people identify PST, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, with just people in the military, but no, it can happen to somebody who's had um something very traumatic to them, like a rape or they've been in an accident or something very crushing, they can have post-traumatic stress disorder as well, you know. And that's just something that is hard. Is that what Pauline, so so you, because you said she has this near-death experience. One thing on on Off the Shelf when we, and and I think great writers do this, great writers Mm -hmm. tell stories that make it safe Almost, you don't intend to do it. You just want to tell a great story, but it can exactly. make it safe for a person, a person to heal, because they they just they're just reading a story about a fictional character. That's true. And their mind, maybe at the unconscious level, is starting to work, and you can actually <laughs> help somebody to heal. But you know, and that's not your intention as a writer. That's not your intention, but it, but it can uh-huh. happen. But does Pauline Bridges does she deal with post traumatic? Uh, stress disorder because why would all this suddenly come up because just because she had an accident exactly exactly and I think what it is is I left it open for people to try to think uh, you know to try to envision what it is I didn't really mention it but it was my intent for them to know that you know this is there was something going on with her emotionally you know so you know I didn't actually bring it out you know as a disorder but in my mind, I think, you know, like as I go back and read the story, I think that was the intent was to let them know that she really had um, an emotional problem that she really needed to deal with, but it was as a result of her past. So I think now that's she, really what – I didn't say it, though, in the book. <laughs> can you describe her? Uh, she's an interesting character to me. Can you describe her? And to our off-the-shelf listeners, we're talking about – Pauline and what she goes through after this accident and all these memories come back. But I want our listeners to know a little bit more about her before that and also tell our listeners, she's actually a CEO to our listeners. She's a CEO and she's the owner of a nursing registry. So she's got, she sounds to me like before the accident, she would be somebody people would view as really having it going on. And I'm thinking of people like Kathy Hughes or Oprah that, that exactly. they're like so well put together. Is is that what what she's like? And then, can you describe her before the accident for our listeners? Sure. And uh-huh. then, what is she like after the accident? Okay, she actually is. Um, she's kind of quiet, but she's very organized. She has her own business. Um, she's the CEO, and this is something that she had wanted to do because she wanted to open the registry, basically, because she wanted to um, give other nurses an opportunity to work under her, and and then she also wanted to be leave something for her for kids because she did have two adult kids, and she wanted to be able to leave something for them, and so she had been in this business for a while, and she she's in church, church-going woman, Christian. Um, Strong beliefs in helping others. Um, she was very helpful to her kids and, and family. And so she just actually, after she went through this divorce, you know, it was really she had the divorce before the accident. And then after the accident, she had closed her life off to any kind of relationships to any other in, whatsoever. No romantic relationship. She wanted nothing to do with dating or to even have any kind of engagement with uh, with a male. So that was a big problem for her. But what happened was when she met Keith Maris, then 
he began to open up uh, the door for her to begin, begin to expose her um, emotions and, and learn to love again. And then, you know, it, it was also the fact that she really needed to, to dig deep, dig deep and find out what it was that, that really was the problem. And I think this accident, sometimes things happen for a reason. You don't like to ever say that accident uh, or anything as traumatic as a rape or anything like that happened. But the accident happened, I think, for a reason. And that reason was for her to just know, you know, she needs to move forward and she needs to trust God, you know. And, you know, when she trusts God and 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 know that he's going to work things out for her and then begin to trust your trust your relationships with other people, share what's going on, you know. And I think with Keith Maris, he, God sent him, you know, really to, to save her, in other words, from her emotional crisis. Because, you know, many people can live and have emotional crisis and you wouldn't even know how much they suffer. That's what I'm saying. You know, she, they don't share she, it. I'm, I'm listening to you even when, you, when you're <laughs> talking, and I appreciate what you're sharing. Uh-huh. But she seems so well put together. It's almost like exactly. the way she was before the accident is what, most people are striving to be like you see what I'm saying. Exactly. So it's like exactly people want to be the her her before the accident, and then you 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 put her in this accident, and you see she doesn't have it so together. Uh, that 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 is always shocking to me. Whenever I see somebody, they they I mean they look like they've got it so together. They they are what other people are striving. To be like, and then you find out all this other stuff. You're like, oh my god! Right, you didn't know. You know, you you find it hard to believe that they are not really everything they appear to be. <laughs> because yes, and it's like aside, a, we all have every time it's a shock. It's a shock every time. It's like, how did how did you? It, it's just amazing. Like, how did you? Were, were you able to put forth that image? And it's and it, maybe it was real to some degree, and then you find all this other mm-hmm. stuff out, and you're like, oh my god, oh my god. Now, <laughs> now your your latest your latest work, um, your latest work is in a single mama dating drama. And you really you did you you write Christian novels? Was it always your intent before? And this wasn't a question I had set out to ask you, but in listening to you okay. talk about a generation mm-hmm. of curses and reflections of a quiet storm, what is it? When, when you started writing as a Christian author, did you say, you know what, I'm taking on these hard issues. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write these cleansed, cleaned up stories. Was that always your intent, or did that, did that just happen organically on its own? It was just organically because I feel I just wanted to write what was in my heart. You know, I knew that being raised as a Christian, you know, I mean, and like I said, I, you know, I'm never going to ever present myself as being the perfect human being because we all have flaws. But, and I feel like even when you write Christian fiction, you know, there should be something in the story where that, that demonstrates that this person is not all flawless, you know. We all, you know, and so Noah was never, it was the intent to write inspirational stories, but my stories, I think, are a little bit on the edgy side, you know, the edgy side being that I want to really show the realness of, of the person, you know, I want to show that they do have flaws, that they can make mistakes, you know, and toward the end, yeah, there should be a resolution, you know, to the problem, but I still wanted to really show that, you know, Nobody's perfect for God. And so we can't, you know, I like to really be just show real stories, be realistic and write things that I feel that would be motivating and inspiring and uplifting. But at the same time, everybody has a problem. And some of my characters, you know, like, you know, even the editor said, you know, I don't like that character. You're going to have to change her. And, it, and it's hard because I said, well, she's not, she's not a good person. One side of her is good, but, but there, maybe there's something about her that other people wouldn't like. But I think we all have things that, that not everybody is going to like about us. So yes. that was my goal, you know. So, yeah, I wrote uh, these stories based on true facts, and then sometimes, and a lot of it was fiction, too, as well. So, But I tried to make it seem as though, okay, you're writing about real people. You're not really writing about robots. So <laughs> that's right, my, right. my, uh, my theme. Yeah, and I appreciate that. Now, your latest work, is single mama dating drama, it tell can tell us the inspiration 
behind your latest book? Okay, so Single Mama Dating Drama is, um, this is a Brown Girls Publishing uh, anthology, and that's where uh, myself as well as 16 other authors, uh, we wrote stories based on single mama dating, you know, which is uh, really a trying time now. It's an up-to-date type of a story. And my particular story was about Layla, who had two children, and she had a teenage she had a teenage daughter who really did not want her to find love. You know, she had been single for a while, and she didn't want to try dating because she was so unsuccessful with it. Uh, but then finally, she met a guy. His name is Mojo, and he's an artist at the record company where she works. So what happens is they kind of you know, start talking. It never really was meant to be anything other than just conversation. But as it began to spiral upward, then the do- the teenagers, both of them, he had a daughter, she has a daughter, the teenagers are determined to see their parents not make it because of the fact that they don't want their parents dating. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a oh real my fun, fun uh, story to write and I was just so thrilled and grateful that Brown Girls chose me to be a contributing author. And the other stories in the book are just outstanding. Um, I really love it, and, you know, I love writing short stories. This is the one I really enjoyed. But this is the Brown Girls Publishing um, book, Single Mama Dating Drama. And my my title is called I Got My Mojo Working. <laughs> I got my mojo working now. Now, yes, um, and I might mention are you working on? It's a best-selling anthology, uh, African American Literary Book Club, uh, single best-selling anthology. Okay, congratulations to you and all the other authors. I got my mojo working, Patricia Bridewell <laughs> and the uh, single mama dating drama uh, uh, anthology. Are you working on a new novel now? Are you? Are you? I know you said you you're done with the generation of curses. Although I think that is a great series book. Um, are you working on any new novels right now, Patricia? Right, Two Steps Past the Altar is in the editing phase. You know, so I'm hoping that will be out in uh, before the year is up. But it is in uh, the serious editing phases where you got to go back and rewrite and revise. <laughs> so it's 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 coming. It's coming soon. Give us Hopefully a glimpse. Give us a glimpse into two steps past the altar, please. Okay. Without giving uh, the story a away, just about, give us give a little. Okay, <laughs> just a little bit about the story. <laughs> okay, it is about uh, a woman, and I'm trying to get my title, my my names now together because I'm thinking of all the characters. But anyway, um, Sasha, you know, is a pharmaceutical representative, and. Um, she's married to um, her husband, and she her husband's name is Damien, and he is in, still in the military, and she travels quite a bit as a pharmaceutical rep, and everything seems like it's okay. Not quite, because he lives on the military base, and they're newlyweds, and she travels, and he doesn't come home that often, but her mother has an illness, and I think the gist of this story is it's about a woman who basically wants to find uh, a cure for her mother's illness. Her mother has a very serious illness, and it's getting worse. So she meets this guy. You know, she's actually introduced to the CEO of a pharmaceutical company in Atlanta. And they kind of date really on a business level. But she finds out that he has a drug that could possibly cure her mom. And it gets a little serious. And from there, I want to just, like, say, I don't want to say too much. But she begins to wonder if the marriage to her husband is really going to work, and she files for a divorce. And it's wow. kind of an issue. You, man, you, I yeah. got to tell you, this, this <laughs> nurse educator's mind, you, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so my goodness, you come men. up with some fascinating <laughs> stories. You come up with some <laughs> fascinating you. stories. Do you do you see yourself, Patricia, as a mystery writer? You, your stories have a bit of mystery to them. You know what? And I've been asked that before. I do, in a way. I don't really see myself as a mystery. I think I kind of add a little bit of spice of everything. I write edgy. Uh, it's Christian. It's inspirational, but it's on the edgy side. So some things, you know, it, it you know, people might say, well, you can't put that in a Christian book. But I'm just writing about things that 
happen or have happened, you know. I mean, some men see themselves between two women. This woman happens to see herself between two men, and it, it, it gets to be chaos. It, it gets to be chaotic. But like I said, you know, wow. it's in the editing phase, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, my goodness, two steps past the <laughs> altar. You guys have to, everybody will have to look out for it later this year from Patricia Brywell. Now, Patricia, we only have a few minutes left in today's show. Can you share three to four steps that you have taken? Uh, I like to share tips with our listeners, particularly those mm-hmm. who are writers themselves. But you can share like three to four steps that you've taken that you've actually found to be effective at getting the word out about your books. Okay, what I really try to do is I use a lot of social media, you know, and that was introduced to me like many years ago because for me to put myself on like Facebook or Twitter and and all those different sites like maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I never would have even thought about it. But it's absolutely imperative. Social media is a very strong vehicle, you know, um, and I think that, you know, there's such a broad audience that you can – attract from social media, and I've even been contacted, you know, from things that I posted on Facebook, you know, uh, in terms of even doing an event. That's how I did my uh, book club um, event a couple of years ago, being because I was on Facebook. Um, I also use paid advertisement, um, and I always look for other vehicles that I can to uh, use to uh, promote the book. I go to events. Um, I try to do at least several events per year, and not just my literary events. If there's something that I'm invited to speak at, say, for a nurse promote here, you know, because you have to do things outside of the box. So I do that, and I just really, I try to do shows such as yours. And, like, once again, I say I'm grateful to be here. And you just try to make yourself um, visible. And I'm still searching for other things. I have a blog radio show. I mean, not a blog show. I'm sorry, not a radio show. I have a blog, and I write a blog, and that's, um, that comes out twice a month. So just trying to do things to to stay motivated. And, you know, when you're busy and you work, you know, you have to take time out to do these things because if you don't, you know, nobody's going to know about your book. They just won't. Yes, and you know, there's so many books book out here. There's, there's so many books out here now. I mean, I can remember when I started, there weren't but a handful of African-American authors, and now it's, oh, my gosh. So right. you do, and, and you you work in a full-time job, and you've got to keep your, or some people writing full-time for other clients. But then you That's also um, have to find a time to keep the word out about your own stories, or they'll get buried they will. They will. They will. <laughs> of thousands you know. of other books that that are out here. How can off the shelf listeners get a copy of your books, Patricia? Okay, they can buy them on Amazon dot com, Barnes and Noble, Smashwords. Uh my books are in the local bookstore here called Zara's Books and Things. That's in Inglewood, California. Um and there are other, I think, online agencies, but Amazon, Barnes & Noble, with Smashwords, I know for sure, and then uh, Zara's Books and Things. And so they're both, they're an e-book and print? Or yes, they are. All they're your books, they're an e-book they are an well e-book and print. Now, you said you're on social media. Please tell us where you are on social media and how off-the-shelf listeners can find you. Oh, okay, on Facebook, uh, Patricia Ann Brywell. On um, Twitter, it's P.A. Bridewell. And, okay, then I get my blog is patriciaandbridewell.wordpress.com. Okay. We have we have been honored to have Patricia Bridewell. I got to tell you, I, I, I got to get <laughs> that generation of curses. All of her stories. Listen, I will send you a copy. And the- send, me your, send me your address. <laughs> I will send you No, one. I'm going to support you. Two Steps Past the Altar is due out uh, later this year, but she, her mind, this is a nurse educator who has a mind <laughs> that comes up with some plots from goodness only knows where, but we have been blessed to have Patricia Brywell with us. She's an award-winning Christian author. She also has a story uh, in the uh, anthology Single Mama Dating Drama, but some of her book titles are 
again, two steps past the altar, which she's working on, keeping faith. We didn't even get to that uh, book today. Reflections of a Quiet Storm, A Generation of Curses, which I think is a great series book. And then, again, her short story in Single Mama Dating Drama. Please look out for Two Steps Past the Altar later this year. But you can go out and get her other books in print or ebook format now. And she's online at patriciabridewell.com, P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A, B-R-I-D-E-W-E-L-L.com, patriciabridewell.com. She's going up to the top of one of my favorite guests, she, and, and her um, – just her creative, her creativity. I would encourage you to bookmark her website because who knows what she's coming up with next when she sits down to write her next story. So we encourage you to support author Patricia Brightwell. And I encourage you to go out and get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. You can enjoy these great stories when you are relaxing, looking for some entertainment. And a book is probably one of the least expensive forms of entertainment that's going to have the longest, it's going to last the longest that you can find almost anywhere. So we thank Patricia, and as I always tell you, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are incredible. Our off-the-shelf listeners and our guests, go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or New York City Time. Uh, Patricia, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye-bye.